Hi, I'm Lisa Mirable, Vertigo Media Group, and I'm here with Robert Strickoff, the Chief Development Officer for EAC. And this is our More To Do podcast. Hi, Robert. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always great to talk about EAC and all the work that we do and all the people we reach. So thank you. Well, today is a really meaningful topic for me. I mean, this is why I really got involved with EAC, actually. It's one of the two reasons why I got involved with EAC. Um, children. Right. Right? Today, we're, we're all about children and the programs that we offer, but more importantly, the impact that we make right here on Long Island. And we talk about that a lot. Right, right. Uh, you know, September, uh, kids go back to school of all ages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the EAC network, uh, when we protect children, we're talking about minors, uh, people under 18 years old, people who need protection, right? That's right. They're, they don't have, they have their families and they have everyone else to protect them, but they really need people to protect them and they need someone to stand up for them. And the EAC network through our Child Advocacy Center and through our Safe Harbor program are just two programs that stand up for Suffolk County's children. And you're going to hear um, great stories from three wonderful professionals, highly trained, highly skilled, highly motivated EAC staff members. You're going to hear about the programs and the work that they do within Suffolk County. But primarily what they do, yeah, they are protecting Suffolk County's children from physical and sexual abuse. And it, uh, you know, you hate to say this, but from being sexually trafficked. Uh, people think that sexual trafficking is something that you see on TV or see in the movies, but I will tell our audience right now and tell you um, that is going on every day in Suffolk County. So there was a complete misconception on, on my part as to what sex trafficking was, right? I thought you were handcuffed, <laughs> dragged somewhere, and sold to perform act, you know, sexual acts. That was my thought of what se- sex trafficking is. And um, in being part of the EAC and in talking with these terrifically is that everyone will get to meet later on, they... Um, Explain to me how misinformed I was right. and how often it actually is happening here on Long Island. Now, I'm just going to back up for a minute. Yep. It's important for me to get this message out with you yep. because this is my community. This is where I live. This is where my kids are and where my grandchildren tri- will be. And I'm at the point where, right. you know, I may be having grandchildren in a couple <laughs> of years. So it's extremely important right. to me to pay attention to this. Right. right. It is impact here on Long Island, and what are we doing about it? And EAC it has such a powerful program that we need to share with everyone right. and spread the word so that they can help us make it even stronger. I agree with you. Listen, I, I live here in Long Island in Suffolk County myself. I have two, uh, you know, minor children, and uh, we talk about this every day. You know, uh, they come across uh, teachers. Mm-hmm. They come across uh Sports coaches. Coaches, yes. They come across um, people that they see in restaurants every day. Uh, they come across adults that they see. And I think the the, um, the, st- the statistic is that people, children who are sexually trafficked o- and or sexually abused, are it's, th- it's performed by people that they know. Yeah, I think... It's um, not done by strangers, right? No, it's not done by strangers. I believe it was 92% of all children who have experienced some form of abuse have experienced it by people that they know. Right. And 65% of all abuse comes from some form of sexual abuse. Right. So that's really staggering statistics. And then when you think about the people that you see every day, right? Right. And you see all those school buses and all the innocence, that it 
you know, and the wonder and the excitement and the dreams they have. Right. And then you think about this. Right. And you're completely robbing them of right. that. So this to me is the number one important program that right. EAC does and the amount of people that they see is staggering. So I hate to make this a commercial, but I right. mean, we have so much more to do. You're going to hear a lot of great stuff, but there's just so much more to do here. You're going to get a lot of information. You're going to learn about our programs. But what I need you to consider when listening to this is how you can get involved and help us grow these programs and protect the children we have here on Long Island. Again, I need your help to protect these kids. And Safe Harbor is a great program, right. and there's so many more programs that you offer. Right. But we need to do more. One one way to find out what to do or how to help is to go to our, our website, right? EAC-network.org. That's EAC-network.org. And you'll hear and read about the programs that we have. I want you to listen to this podcast. I want you to, to share it with your friends and family. Uh, by the way, I want to share. I want you to share it with your kids. I'm going to share this with my kids. I was just going to say it's really important to have these conversations with them because it is happening with people they already know, people that make them feel safe. Now, we're not just talking about sex trafficking, right? That's not what this is, so you don't tune out because it's not about that. It's about the little things. It's about that internet probe, that text message they get, which <laughs> defines, right, right. you know, some form of sex trafficking. It's about manipulation, right? It's right? manipulation. You, you're manipulating a, a minor. Um, and and um, Andrea, I think, mentioned it, or maybe Stephanie, you'll hear from them later on. They talked about signs that your child is being groomed um, either for you know physical or sexual abuse or sexual trafficking. And one of the signs, and we all see this in our kids, and maybe we don't pay attention, but we need to, Obviously, our kids are guarded with their phones, right? Sure. Uh, it's a it's an iPhone um, uh, world that we live in. Um, so that in itself is not such a great sign, but you got to look for that. But when you ask your what child, what do you mean? Look, look for them guarding their phone, not wanting it, to share the information that's on their phone with you. Yeah, right? that's yeah, what you're yeah. It's okay. not just that. Just to be clear, yeah, it's not that the, your child is guarding the phone. I think the bigger sign is that when you say, "All right, we're going to go to dinner at five o'clock," or "We're going to have dinner at six thirty." And they have to check their phones. Uh, they have to check their schedules. They have to check what they're doing. That is a clear sign that they're communicating with someone that maybe they shouldn't be communicating with. Right, and that a someone control is, issue. Bingo. Trying someone is control. trying to control them. Mm -hmm. And by the way, children get controlled by people they know and trust. That's right. So there's a trust there. Why would you want to check in with someone you didn't trust? Right. There's a trust building, and there's a relationship building there. So... That's so scary. become a partner with the AC. Uh, fight against you know uh, uh, people who would victimize young children uh, here, right, right here in Suffolk County. Just today, there was a report of a school bus, a fake school bus, trying to pick up kids at a, at a school st at a okay. stop. In I'm horrified. In, uh, and this is in Suffolk County, by the way. So uh, this is going on, and and we talk need to talk about this. Yeah, talk about um, a neutral place, right? Right. So that's har that's really horrifying. So what I want to All right. I need a break for a sec. Yeah. So that's re that's really that's scary not stuff. Not oh my god. All right. So EAC has partnerships with Suffolk County police officers, right? right. So EAC supports local police 
We support the work that they do. Right. We support them by being the in-between, right. which I always thought was like Child Protective Services. Right. So explain the difference between the EAC and Child Protective Services. So our partners not only include the Suffolk County Police Department, but it's really the Special Victims Unit uh, within the Suffolk County Police Department. And all of the special victim units within the different departments, uh, different police departments on Long Island. As you know, uh, there are five East End police departments um, yeah. that uh, that cover, obviously, Suffolk County. And they may not have a special victims unit, but they all have a, um, a sergeant or a detective or someone in charge of special victims because this is about kids. And um, it's a different world when a child is a victim of physical or sexual abuse. Um, they can't speak up for themselves like an adult can, right? Right. They don't know how to articulate. Right. They're afraid. Right. Probably and have been threatened at some point. And manipulated and controlled, right? That's right. Manipulated and controlled. Um, so part of the work that we do with the Special Victims Unit, with Child Protective Services, with the Department of Social Services, is to provide um, wraparound services not only to the victim, potential victim, but to the non-offending family members. If you're a family member and your child um, is going through this trauma, you're going through this trauma as well. That's and it's very, very difficult to talk, to think about and talk about and, and, and get through. Um, so we got to help the family members as well mm-hmm. uh, get through this process. We don't want the child to be re-victimized. That is a key pr- uh, aspect of our work. That child cannot be re-victimized by having his, his or her story told 10, 15, 20 times to different people. Having that child have to relive that story over and over again. Reliving the story we know is horrific. It's a horrific experience. I mean, all the research shows that telling the story over and over again traumatizes the child, right? Even more so than the actual act that happened. And and then the manipulation, not manipulation, but the the way they tell this story, and then they get nervous, and then they feel like, they're under integration rather than being the victim. Right, right. So there's a lot in that. And considering, again, that this is here on Long Island and right. it's the kids that I see every day, and I and I think about that. I think about as they're in the street and they're playing right. and, and I have to slow my car down, you know, right. and, and look at them. I'm like, it is a crazy world out there. Right, right. Mentioned you know, we can't be paranoid, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what we can do is help support so if this does happen, we can minimize the damage. Right. And we got to put the bad guys away, right? <laughs> Hands down. Um, EAC works and with... And Suffolk County Police does an amazing job. Um, 100%. The e- uh, EAC works with the Special Victims Unit, uh, the detectives within the Suffolk County Police Department, and the Suffolk County DA's office uh, to make sure that the investigation is done in the proper way, that it's done uh, in, a, in a way that protects the victim, and goes again, goes after the bad guys. Uh, we have a great relationship, working relationship with uh, Suffolk County, the towns, our DSS, uh, Special Victims Unit, the uh, Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. But by the way, we also have a relationship with the FBI, right? That's what Safe Harbor is about and the Department of Justice. They are the agencies that see Safe Harbor, right, and, and work with Safe Harbor because Safe Harbor and sexual trafficking is about the internet, which involves... Right, the internet is the FBI. Right, That's it involves right. the FBI. That's right. and, the, and the phone involves the FBI. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, taking a child across state lines. Uh, we just received a, a grant from the Department of Justice targeting Suffolk County um, to make sure that we are educating 
as we're educating uh, you and myself uh, today and the and our audience, educating um, the communities in Suffolk County. What is sexual trafficking? What does it mean? Yes, let's take it from there because this is the fundamental uh, of which I told you I right. had a complete misconception on. Right. So sexual trafficking is? Is inappropriate messages from an adult to a child, usually in a sexual nature. It's about, hey, send me a picture. Hey, can you meet me at the pizza place? Hey, can you want you want do you want a beer or can I buy you alcohol or whatever the case may be? And that's what grooming is, grooming is as well, right? You're trying to get a, a minor trust. trust, but you're trying to get that minor victim to do something normally in a in eventually in a sexual uh, activity. Uh, we're seeing a lot of it in Suffolk County. Uh, that's why that uh, that grant's important to us. Uh, it's also about the bilingual community here in Suffolk County. Um, we we need to get into certain communities that are seeing a high level higher level of sexual trafficking. That's uh, in part to do to gang activity here in Suffolk County. We are working with the Suffolk County Sheriff's Department to ID those people that might be sexually trafficking kids, and we got to get to those people and get to those kids, get to those families. So that's why that Department of Justice and the partnership with the FBI is important. And you'll hear more about that uh, later in the podcast. Uh, Karen Lemp and Stephanie Muller will talk about that. Uh, Look, that if it wasn't happening here on Long Island, you wouldn't have that grant, right? So obviously, all eyes are on Suffolk County right. because this is, this is big. Yep. And the impact of these programs and what it's doing for our communities is tremendous. And the protection that we're offering for these uh, victims is uh, can't go unrecognized, right? And right. putting those bad guys away. Right. So I think the the mission of this podcast and really the mission of these three women and all the w- people that work in their offices uh, is really to educate the audience. Uh, what is sexual trafficking? What are the signs that your child may be being groomed or sexually trafficked? Um, what are the signs of physical and sexual abuse? Th- those are, again, completely different things, right? Yes. Uh, we have to figure out, you know, why children are not coming forward. That's part of the education. Children who are physically and sexually abused, it's not your fault. That's right. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. And they need to speak up. I know it's very difficult, but that's one of the things that the EAC professionals do, right? They encourage kids to speak up because we do not want these kids to be re-victimized over and over and over again. And that's going on in Suffolk County. Unfortunately, in the last, I, I think the last three or four years, obviously with COVID, coming out of COVID, I think we saw about 500 children over the last three or four years. And that's 500. 500 children. Yes, and that's 500 too many. In Suffolk County. One is too many. Yep. Uh, let me just bring that yep, up. Like yep. One is too many, but 500, you know, uh, that's that's way too many. So like, listen, listen to... Listen to Andrea, listen to Stephanie, listen to Karen, go to our website, um, go to your school districts, encourage them to to uh, adhere to Erin's law. And Erin's law is about uh, mandatory reporting and how you manage how a mandatory reporter needs to behave and act if they see or they receive a a, um, a report of sexual and physical abuse. Very, very important. That initial sort of connection with an authority figure. If that doesn't go well, that child will be re-victimized. That's right. So it's very important. Erin's law is important. Talk to your school boards. Talk to your superintendents. Uh, listen, you got to talk to your your sports teams, right? My boys are in sports all the time, and we leave them alone with what we think are trusting adults. 
So look look for signs of physical and sexual abuse. Right. It's look not for only signs. Sp- it's not only sports teams. There's teachers. Dance. There's dance. There's any activity. Church. Even um, right. you know we all hear about uh, religious organizations. Uh, uh, babysitters, uh, but what you brought up earlier, people like mailmen or male women, mail carriers. Right. You see them all the time. They wave hello. They build a trust. Inches, right? Yep. Yeah. Little inches at a time. We talk a lot about that later on. You know, building that trust and what it means and how they do it, how they manipulate. So having this conversation, sharing this podcast, there's also resources on the website to go yep. to. That they can download, that our listeners can download, um, so that you can have these conversations. Trying to make them easier to have with your children, reinforce it with their peers. Um, you know, uh, the more people that get involved, the better. The more education we have, obviously, the better. And our Riverhead CAC um, Center, yep, that's out east, um, that opened three years ago, is still being underutilized. But all of these centers that we have, you can call, go yep, to, yep. ask for resources, get them, and yep. use them as tools. I know as a parent, we don't get that handbook when our children are born, right? Right. And we and it is a scary thing to just leave them and walk away, but use the tools and the resources that EAC has to keep and protect your children, keep them safe. Couldn't say that better than that. If there is an issue uh, that parents who are listening to this Parents, teachers, police officers, uncles, aunts, sisters, brothers, if you have a question about uh, physical sexual abuse, if you suspect that something is going on, you can call our CAC. We're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Someone will get back to you immediately in regards to your concern. And the phone number to call is 631-439-0480. That's 631-439-0480. Visit us on our website, eac-network.org. That's eac-network.org. Protect your children. Listen to these uh, amazing women who do this every day. January is um, Sexual Trafficking Month, but for us, it's every day. That's right. We have angels walking amongst us, as uh, we quite often say, and there's always more to do. So I just wanted to reiterate that... um, when you do call, everything is extremely confidential. Yep. It is a safe place to call. Yep. It's a safe place to share. So if there's anything, any kind of inkling, feeling, just not feeling right, better to call and keep uh, children of Long Island and our community safe. First of all, we have Andrea Ramos-Topper, our Division Director of Children's Services. Andrea, good morning, or good afternoon, I should say. Welcome to the More To Do podcast. Hi, Bob. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having us. I'm excited to be here and excited to tell you about some of the work that we do in our children's programs. We also have Stephanie Muller, our Program Supervisor for Safe Harbor. Stephanie, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much. And uh, lastly, but uh, certainly not least, uh, Karen Lemp, our Community Educator, EAC Child Advocacy Center. Karen, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having us. Well, welcome. Andrew, what is the Child Advocacy Center? So we actually have two child advocacy centers. Well, we have our main child advocacy center and then a smaller satellite. So when I'm talking about the CAC, as we like to call it, I'm really talking about both of them. The one that we have in Central Islip and our smaller satellite in located in Riverhead, which is a fairly new 
um, program for us. The Child Advocacy Center is a child-friendly, a trauma-informed venue where children are brought to be interviewed and where they could receive comprehensive services once a disclosure or as part of an investigation based upon allegations of sexual abuse. The main piece of the Child Advocacy Center is that we are part of a multidisciplinary team where, where we coordinate a response to child maltreatment and physical abuse allegations in a way that really support the children and support the non-offending family members. Children no longer have to retell the horrific acts of abuse over and over and over again. They're brought to one centralized facility where all sort of the grown-ups that are part of the investigation are uh, can come, can join, and where we can work collaboratively on a team to both investigate and provide services for the children uh, moving forward. We provide family advocacy services, medical evaluations, forensic medical evaluations, referrals to mental health services in the community, and anything that the family needs that are go that's going to provide um, begin the healing process as well. And then we're part of the investigation in terms of case review and coordinating all the pieces with the multidisciplinary team. So now you mentioned uh, Central Islip and Riverhead. Now that's through the court system, the EAC is appointed. How, how does that work? The Child Advocacy Center is not appointed through the court system. That's um, once uh, an allegation of child sexual abuse is made to one of the investigative agencies, whether it's Child Protective Services or law enforcement, either law enforcement or child protective services will contact the family and will coordinate the investigation to start here. At this facility, the interview can be done, the medical exam can be done, the advocacy services can be offered. How many people work within your program at the Ch child advocacy centers? Because the child advocacy center has sort of like different sort of components. And like, for example, you'll hear from Stephanie a little bit. She's going to talk about Safe Harbor. That's sort of like one of the components of the child advocacy center. We have Karen, who's our community educator. So that's like another component. So it's not just like, it's sort of like, you know, the, the child advocacy center has different uh, sort of services that we provide. Um, you know, and then we have part-time staff. We have full-time staff. We have, you know, we have interns. So, you know, that sort of number kind of varies. And, and also we're always constantly developing programs. You know, right now our safe harbor program has, a, you know, several vacancies that we need to fill. So, you know, that number is kind of fluctuating at all times. Absolutely. I mean, I heard this term used when referring to the EAC staff, your angels walking amongst us. And when I hear this type of service or program that's offered by EAC, it most definitely does bring to light. We have three angels sitting here, you know, they're protecting our children. They're, I don't, I couldn't think of any better work to be done than something like this. And it's so critical and so emotional. You guys come in at such a, an emotional point. Um, I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing every day. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as a board up. member, <laughs> it's really touching. Um, creating these safe places for the children and being a part of it is uh, emotional. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, you know, we say that there's more to do. So I'm going to just jump to Karen for, for a minute as the uh, community educator. Um, you know, we had a ribbon cutting or a, um, an open house of our Riverhead EAC, right, our East End EAC uh, two weeks ago. 
And Karen spoke beautifully uh, to not only the elected officials, but to the police uh, personnel that were there from the East End. Could you tell us a little bit about Riverhead and, and, and what's going on there and, and why it was so important to have that open house uh, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we had the official open house in um, early earlier this month. We actually, that uh, site has been open for about three years. Um, so we did it to sort of commemorate the three year anniversary of it opening. Um, it opened in August of 2019 and we had initially planned an open house for April of 2020. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Uh, so we always do something very community involved um, and, you know, sort of in the lines of preventive education usually. Um, but we were planning this very large open house for April of 2020 that obviously couldn't happen. So while we did end up having like a series of small open houses to abide by COVID regulations at the time, um, you know, I think that the East NCAC didn't really get the big splash that it kind of deserved. And that's what this was. This was our big splash at the beginning of the month. And it was so great to see the East End law enforcement there to support us, all of the elected officials that came to support us, um, to sort of really, I think, kind of realize the importance of having a site that close to the East End families. Because it's, like Andrea mentioned, one of our main focuses is being child-friendly. And I think, like Lisa also mentioned, um, we are there at a really critical time. Sometimes those investigations have just opened that day. So to ask a family who's maybe just learning of something horrific and traumatizing might have happened to their child, to ask them to drive two plus hours to Central Islip, probably more if it's during the summer season, if we're being honest, yeah. um, that's not very child friendly, right? So the Riverhead office was specifically opened for that geographic reason because we're so much closer, we get to work specifically with that East End Police Department and uh, Child Protective Services out there. Um, to, you know, those, those kids and those families really deserve the, the same. They deserve the same as all the families that were able to more easily go to Central Islip. Um, they deserve the same child-friendly, trauma-informed um, uh, center that Central Islip is able to provide. And it's, you know, advocacy services also exist out there. We have a fantastic bilingual family advocate um, who works incredibly hard. Um, she makes great connections with those families and she really makes them feel, she makes them feel safe, I think, when they're there. Um, that's, to me, that's why the open house is so important to sort of spread the word to uh, maybe individuals who didn't realize you were there because of all that, the impact that COVID had the past couple of years and to sort of hopefully increase our presence there going forward. I know that I've talked to people about, you know, the work that we're doing within, you know, children as a whole and all the different programs. And I don't think that they understand the holistic approach that is taken and the benefits that yeah. that actually brings to a child when in this situation, right? And the ease, right? A child was severely traumatized, whether physical, whether sexually, you know, there was some sort of trauma that has happened. And our services that the EAC network provides not removes the trauma, but lets them move forward through a program as, with as little trauma and as little, I think, um, discomfort as possible at this point, right? There's so many different variables, and we just try to make it the easiest um, route, right? right? 
for this child to go through. And um, that's what's often missed. And I think the community involvement and, Karen, uh, educating everyone around you, um, whether it be the schools, whether it be the politicians, whether it be um, the police department, and letting them know that we offer, we have these services available and our approach that's taken um, is so important. And that's why this podcast is so important for all of you ladies to be here um, and to communicate and get the messages out uh, to uh, everyone, um, including the parents, right? So that they know um, sometimes it's not always a parent involved or a family member involved, right? So we have to educate everyone uh, as to how this how this works for the child. Part of that education is Aaron's Law, right? And and where kids are going back to school, uh, some kids are going back to school tomorrow, right? Uh, yes. Early, and uh, most of the stuff that Karen's going back next week. So, Karen, could you talk a little bit about Aaron's Law, how that affects children, not only children, but educators, uh, teachers, administrators in school districts, and what your work, what you do in your work uh, is trying to help um, people understand you know, what's co- what may be going on tragically in our school districts in Suffolk County. Yeah, absolutely. So Aaron's Law was passed by New York State a couple of years ago in 2019 and went into effect in the summer of 2020. Um, so what the CAC did is we did conducted outreach and uh, to every single Suffolk County public school district. Um, what Aaron's Law says is that every New York State public school has to provide preventive education to students on uh, to prevent child abuse um, from kindergarten all the way up through eighth grade. Um, New York State is not the first one. We're number 37 actually to pass Aaron's law. So it's, it has been done before, it's been rolled out before. And what New York State Department of Education provided was like a resource guide for schools with all these different curriculums. So um, what I did is I sort of went through all these different curriculums and I was really looking for something um, that was, I wanted something that was evidence-based, that was accessible to schools. Um, and what I did was I really sort of tried to customize um, uh, the outreach efforts to school districts. Since every school district is set up a little bit differently, right? And the way this law was passed from how I interpreted it, it at least was, um, it's really up to the schools to determine the best way to provide this preventive education training uh, to their students. And it was also highly recommended that faculty and staff at schools also receive additional support and training because the reality is when you start implementing child abuse prevention education to students, the number of disclosures are most likely going to increase after that. Um, So to sort of remind teachers and administrative staff the proper protocols for mandated reporters, which they all are, as far as what do you do if a child discloses to you? What's what's best practice when a child discloses to you? Um, so our outreach efforts have been, uh, you know, I would say well received from the schools that we've been able to get in contact with. Um, one of the biggest um, trainings that we're able to offer them is we actually, with our multidisciplinary team through the CAC, created a training for professionals at school specifically. So. What we do prior to a curriculum being implemented, whatever curriculum they end up choosing is um, the CAC, either either Ben Andrew or myself, we go in with our team. We go in with someone from Special Victims Unit and someone from Suffolk County Social Service, uh, DSS, Department of Social Services, and we provide our MDT mandated reporter briefing for schools. It's about an hour long. 
and it goes over the New York State Office of Children and Family Services mandated reporter laws um, that are kind of like a refresher for them. Um, goes over the red flags that a child might be being abused by a caregiver or neglected by a caregiver. It goes over the proper reporting protocol just so they all are aware of it. And then what's kind of great about this is we can bring in someone who is really in charge of the team that's probably going to re respond to their school if they do make a call. We bring them in and they get to talk to them and they ask a ton of questions. Sometimes they're general, sometimes they're case specific, but the, the teachers and the staff at schools have been incredibly engaged in these trainings. And I think that's how you know a training is, is going well. Actually, I think that's how you know a training is impactful when they're that engaged and focused on you when you're speaking. So we have our special victims unit member go in and talk about, well, what happens after you make that call? How do we handle that? Um, what are some of the best practices that you can do the school staff make up such a huge portion of registered reports to the state central registry where all suspicions of child abuse go in the whole entire state. Um, they make up a huge amount of reports that are actually registered and they're a huge resource for us. What is that phone number and website if anyone suspects that a child has been physically or sexually abused? So there's two phone numbers. For mandated reporters, one's one for mandated reporters, one's for the public. Anyone can call this phone number. Um, the public can be totally anonymous if, if you want, but if you have a suspicion that a child is being abused, maltreated, or neglected, then as a public individual, you would call 1 800 342 3720. And the way I provide the mandated reporter trainings, um, the way I explain that is what, is, what is the suspicion? It's that gut feeling that something's not right. It's that gut feeling something's not right with this kid, with this family. I think someone needs to go and conduct an investigation. That's really what you're asking someone to do when you call the registry. You're asking someone whose job it is to conduct an investigation if child abuse, maltreatment, or neglect has occurred to go and do that. That's, that's what their job is. To our listeners, this is very important. If you suspect, if you have a gut feeling that if something is going on in this child's life that you know, whether you're a coach, whether you're a neighbor, whether you're a teacher, you're a police, whomever you are, you see something at a deli, you think something is going on with this child and you want and you need to report, you know, potential physical sexual abuse, you call the state registry, 1-800-342-3720. Your what program? I'm sorry. Could you say that again? Pass. And if you're a mandated reporter, there's a separate line uh, for you. If this is only while you're clocked in, while you're working, um, if you're like a teacher or a doctor and you have, you're off on Saturday, you would call the public hotline. Um, and if you're confused by any of that, you should take my mandated reporter training that is free and two hours long. Uh, and I better give it all the time over Zoom. Um, but the general, uh, sorry, the mandated reporter hotline is 1-800-635. One five two two. Uh, there's there's so much more to talk about. We want to make sure that we get Stephanie in here, right? Uh, right. Stephanie, thank you for listening uh, intently and quietly. Um, but uh, uh, Safe Harbor is one of our um, you know m most important programs that we work on here at EAC Network. Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about what Safe Harbor is and and your work with Safe Harbor? Yeah. So um, as stated before, I'm the program supervisor for the Suffolk County Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor. Um, comes from the Safe Harbor Act, which basically um, 
was an act that was passed to make sure that youth that are um, victims and survivors of trafficking are protected and being given supports versus being criminalized. So there's a safe harbor in every single county. EAC um, is over the Suffolk County Safe Harbor. And with our Safe Harbor program, we provide extra support to youth in Suffolk County that are either survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation or are exhibiting risk factors for um, trafficking and exploitation. So our work is to provide direct services out in the community. We provide case management to be able to help, you know, set goals with them, oversee what referrals they need, see how, you know, the different um, support systems are are helping and, and providing that support. We're also doing a lot of safety planning to make sure that these youth are safe. Um, a lot of times they may still be engaging in risky behaviors or with um, unsafe people. So we're still doing a lot of safety planning to really make sure that we have that connection with them to be able to have conversations about healthy relationships versus unhealthy relationships, safe sex, keeping yourself safe, um, you know, mental health supports and all of that. Um, part of what we're also doing is just giving them that education and that um, really we see education as empowerment. So like I said, having those conversations is so beneficial. I think there's a misconception about sex trafficking here on Long Island and Suffolk County that it doesn't actually exist. And it does exist. And what is sex trafficking? And Safe Harbor not only is... You know, they think sex trafficking is they're going to kidnap you and make you go to another country and you're going to be trafficked to another country to uh, have sex with people for and be sold. Right. So unpack for me what uh, that exactly means here on Long Island. It's a lot of myth busting um, because, like you said, the, the perception is often connected to maybe like the movie Taken. Um, and it's not that those situations don't happen. And I do think that human trafficking can look so different depending on the part of the world and the situation. But really when it comes to trafficking, it is often people that the youth know or that the even adults, you know, adults are, are trafficked as well. It is a known person. Um, so when we talk about human trafficking, a lot of the time it means um, we're talking about the grooming process because it is someone that is a known person. Um, you know, there are a lot of children that go missing, you know, and similar to, the, you know, that misconception is, okay, they're being kidnapped, they're being taken. And again, that does happen. But a lot of times the children that are missing are often running away to someone that they see as a safe person or someone that they see as a provider because they don't have these other supports. Um, so human trafficking can look so different. Um, it can be someone in the family. It can be a friend. A lot of times we see it's a romantic partner, um, which we can refer to as boyfriending. Um, so a lot of times it's, again, that known person who is identifying the vulnerabilities in this person that they're trafficking, um, identifying those needs and filling those needs, You know, pro providing food and shelter. And maybe if they want to try out um, substances, providing those substances to kind of get them hooked in, providing them with getting their nails done and their hair done and all of these different things to um, make that connection and slowly widening and stretching boundaries and sexual boundaries. Stephanie, then, you, you're telling me and Lisa and this audience that sexual trafficking of kids happens in Suffolk County? Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. So yeah, again, it happens with a lot of um, people that are known and also people that become known. So what I mean by that is that it's also happening a lot online. Um, throughout the pandemic, there has been a, a massive increase with that, um, being that, you know, we're all inside and we're all connected to, you know, our computers. I mean, I know I watched way more Netflix and was on my phone more than ever before in 2020. And similarly, a lot of people are on their phones more and are very lonely and having connections online with other people through social media. And unfortunately, that means that a lot of um, a lot of traffickers really took advantage of that time to really get connected to um, to youth. Um, but yeah, and a lot of a lot of that is then, like I said before, they're getting a lot of information, especially youth, you know, maybe they're sharing different aspects about their life, different frustrations, loneliness, frustrations with the pandemic, whatever. And then they're able to use those things to maintain control. Um, and that's really how we're seeing it in, in Suffolk County. You know, uh, if, if you all potentially, Andrea, can answer this question. Uh, I know, who, who are your partners, right? It's, it's, I know you've probably talked about, there's some overlap with CAC, but I think uh, you and Andrea uh, received a, a, a grant from the Department of Justice uh, for Safe Harbor. If you can talk a little bit about that, that grant, um, that work, and maybe who are your partners uh, are here in Suffolk County? Yeah, I think, I mean, our partners are definitely, um, you know, we're part of the, the multidisciplinary team with the Child Advocacy Center, and that's such a great resource. We get referrals, you know, oftentimes from cases that come through the CAC because we're seeing that overlap and they're identifying those risk factors. Um, but it's definitely such a help to us to be able to, you know, call up the DA's office or call up SVU and just say, hey, I need to pick your brain about this case and I need some, you know, I need your perspective. So they're definitely our partners in this. Um, being part of EAC, you know, and being a network where we work really closely with one of the other programs under EAC being AFI, Alternatives for Youth and their home-based program. So we work very closely with their case managers and their program uh, director, Demisha, and it's really awesome how we're able to work together. Um, we also work very closely, similar to, you know, with the Child's Advocacy Center, we work closely with um, Child's Protective Services, with probation, at the courts, um, with other service providers like Family Service League, um, providers that provide counseling, and different things like that. Before we end, I just wanted to go back to Andrea. Andrea, are there any um goals for the EAC, uh, CAC uh, network um, for branching out this year, uh, 2023? So I think that, you know, one of the goals that we have is certainly to continue to raise awareness about the impact of the services that we do, raise awareness about child abuse, raise awareness about human trafficking. It is happening. Uh, Stephanie, as you heard, is extremely busy. We just received a grant and obviously there was a need for that. We have to prove that there was a need. If there wasn't the need, we would not have received the grant. So that just really supports the fact that it is happening here in Suffolk County. Um, and just to, you know, really just to continue to promote the services and the good work that we're doing and to be a support, not only for our partners at all different levels, the, the government partners, non-governmental partners, community-based partners, non-for-profit partners, but more importantly, be a support for the families that we serve and you know, be there to help them with their healing process. Well, you're doing a great job. And again, I know it's not just the three of you, but thank you so much uh, for all the work that you do every day. Lisa, before uh, we finish, um, you know, we're a little different than other not-for-profits, right? 
if you are the American Cancer Society and you, you cure someone of cancer, you put that person up and say, look, we cure this person of cancer and look at, look at what we did and money went to this person and to the family and look how happy and proud and, and thankfully they're alive. Um, the, the people that Andrea and her staff deal with are victims, right? So we can't put them on. We can't say, "Look at this," you know. You know, we can't just don't have. We just right. don't have that story, right? And and rightfully so, and we understand that. Um, can you talk, you know, anonymously? Can you can you put together ten successive stories and say, "Hey, this is what happened to this person. This is what we did, and this is this is was you know the result, or or the impact." With without obviously mentioning names or times and places, uh, I think. Illustrating that impact uh, to this audience would be important. Andrea or Karen or or Stephanie, if you can do that sort of in two minutes uh, or less, uh, and I know it, that's an impossible task, um, but can you illustrate, you know, what you guys do on a day to day basis with your team, with the with with your partners, and and tell this audience what that looks like. So I can I'll give a, a very sort of. Uh, general non-descriptive example of a CAC case. And then Steph can talk a little bit about Safe Harbor and Karen can talk about the impact that she's making with community education. But I think for, for us, when we see a child that came to the CAC and disclose the abuse in great detail, and when asked how come during the previous interview, they did not disclose the abuse, or when they were interviewed at the house, how come they said nothing was going on, but yet they brought to the child advocate center and they said, yeah, this is what's going on. And the child discloses that the reason why they, they're telling the story now is because this is where they feel safe and they know that nobody is listening. Nobody's hiding under the bed. Nobody's listening behind the curtain. Nobody's listening in, in the next room. I think that kind of summarizes up the reason why, you know, the child advocate center exists because this is a safe place where children can tell their stories. Karen? I started in January of 2019, uh, and I was working as an advocate at the time. And I think to kind of piggyback off of what Andrew was saying, the, the help that advocates have is irreplaceable. I still have families that call me from the very first couple of cases that I got. The first, I think this, like the actual second case I ever got, this um, family still calls me for assistance in all different, all different ways, whether it's for therapy. Uh, most of the time it is for trauma-informed therapy because as Stephanie mentioned, it's really hard to find someone with an opening. And it's something we're, we're constantly trying to, to increase our community connections in that way. Um, or for just general assistance. Um, you know, a lot of families are struggling in so many other ways before they walk in those doors. Stephanie? Yeah, so a big part of Safe Harbor is also Safe Harbor Mentoring, which is our community um, volunteer-based mentoring program where we're able to match um, mentees that maybe are previously in safe harbor and transition to the mentoring program or we get referrals for them to be in the mentoring program and they are connected to a community member that goes through the rigorous process of being trained and background checked to be a volunteer mentor um, and they provide that mentorship for a year so a story that comes to mind um, is we've had one of our mentor mentee matches complete their one-year commitment um, and they're still in contact, even, you know, post the commitment with, with Safe Harbor Mentoring, still in each other's lives. And it's been so awesome just to see that relationship, to see um, and just to hear from them, too, about how this youth really felt like before being in the mentoring program, they really felt like they were really lacking in additional supports. Um, we see a lot of youth that 
you know, don't have maybe a stable and consistent adult in their life and being, or maybe just want an additional, you know, stable adult in their life to be able to get that support from. So um, through that, through that mentor mentee match, we just saw how much it benefited this mentee. And they would just talk about how much they loved being able to try out new activities, try out new food, you know, be able to go out into the community and even just try out new activities that we would host here at at our office um, with their mentor and just be able to um, have those experiences that by the end of the year, when we were kind of reflecting on the past year, you know, with their mentor, they just talked about how they felt so supportive, how different their life looked from that support and how much it changed them and how much it really empowered them to just keep going and um, that they learned so much from their, uh, from their mentor. Lisa, one of the things that all three t- uh, touched upon was the investigation, right? What happens when uh, this uh, is getting reported? And uh, I know the DA sent uh, uh, the bureau chief uh, to our uh, open house. Um, DA Tierney, you know, recommitted his support to put the bad actors away, right? And that's part of what all of you do. Identify, investigate, and let's put the bad actors away so that this doesn't happen to anybody else. So thank you to all three of you for doing that. I read an astounding uh, statistic that I just want to share. One out of every 10 children experience some form of child abuse within their life, right? Child abuse or assault, I believe it was. Yes, one out of every 10 children experience some kind of assault or or sexual abuse in their lifetime. So... Having said that, there is definitely a need to do more. Um, You know, the CAC provides so many programs, but there's so much more to do. So I just want to bring up again, we will be putting up all of that important information on our website, and it will be at the end of this video podcast that you can find on the uh, CEAC-network.com website. .org. .org. And the podcast can be found in all places that you look for podcasts, right? That's right. It'll be on YouTube and all those, uh, Spotify, YouTube, Spotify, and on our website.